It's good to be together. We're in uh, week two of a series called Prince of Peace, and, uh, and I think that today is going to be a, a day that's going to be helpful for a lot of us. And um, a, a few years back, I guess it was about a year ago, Amanda, my wife and I, uh, she was back here playing keys. We took our kids uh, to, to Disney, and um, we, we got roped into that. I, I think that Disney's from the devil, and not because of the reasons you think. Not like the politics or any of that. That, that stuff, it is what it is. It's more so that I can spend more than like, I could pay to buy a cheap house than to take my kids for one day to Disney. And, and so we were down in Orlando and we were kind of staying at a, a resort down there and, and my kids, they just kept giving me the look like, are you going to take us somewhere? Like, and uh, so we, we decided that for, for one day we were going to take the kids to Hollywood Studios. And, and uh, so we get them all riled up and they're all excited. And, and somehow they convince us to spend $1,000 for one day of nothing but like torrential heat and, uh, and your kids like losing it and melting down because they want the $43 Coca-Cola that looks like a Star Wars character. <laughs> and you just wait in lines and all this kind of stuff. But, but Noah at the time, he was incredibly into Star Wars. Anybody like Star Wars here? Yep. And, and so we're like, all right, we're going to take you to Hollywood Studios. We're going to let you go see the whole Star Wars land. And we're going to do the rides and all of that kind of stuff. And, and he was just like in heaven for this, this period of time, like a stormtrooper comes up and is like talking to him and he doesn't know what to do. And, and we go on the one ride, I think it's the, the rise of the resistance. And this, it's this, this epic ride, if you've never been, where basically as you're walking through, it, they make you feel like you're really in the movie. And um, what, what's happening, you know, the stormtroopers come out and they're talking to you and they're doing all this kind of stuff. And, and what was funny is we got out of the end of this ride and, and I'm walking out and I can't find my sunglasses anywhere. And so I'm like looking at Amanda. I was like, do you have my sunglasses? He's like, no. I was like, and Noah, he's like, I know what happened to your sunglasses. It's like, enlighten me here. What happened to my sunglasses? He says, Kylo Ren used the force. (laughs) And he took your sunglasses. Like straight faced as can be. Believing it. Like as much as like the sky is blue that day. Like he believed that Kylo Ren used the force and stole my sunglasses. For like months on and after that, we would go ask Noah, like, hey, what happened to daddy's uh, sunglasses? Do you, do you remember? He said, oh, Kylo Ren. Because apparently Kylo Ren needs $8 sunglasses from five and below. But, but it was so funny that, that you know, we're sitting there and, and, and you can see the, just the imagination of a child. That they're sitting in here and, and you could just create a certain environment and, and they can look around and you put the right sounds and all this kind of stuff together. And they suddenly feel like this is now reality. And what's, what's funny is, is um, a wild imagination is cute as a kid, but it can be endangering as an adult. Like if I came home from Disney and I came up here and I said, I lost my sunglasses, Kylo Ren used the force to take my sunglasses. How many of you would just get up and leave, right? You'd be looking at me like, I'm insane. I'm absolutely crazy. Or how many of you, maybe you had an imaginary friend as a kid or, or your, your children have imaginary friends or, or stuffed animals that, you know, they think have like emotions and, and lives to them. That, like that's, that's okay as a kid, but I'm pretty sure if I, if I walked up here and I said that my stuffed animal was alive and it talked to me last night, you'd be calling 911 and getting me admitted somewhere. Am I right? And the, the funny thing is, is, is we encourage the imagination, but there's this maturing in the stage of growing up where your imagination learns some limits. 
it learns some reality of, uh, okay, when can I use my imagination in healthy ways to be creative and, and to be innovative and do all these kind of things and, and to have fun? But, but when is it like now it's crossing the guardrails of, all right, you're a little cuckoo. You're a little crazy. Last week, we, we talked uh, in our first week of the series, Prince of Peace, we, we talked about um, how, how we can have peace in spite of very real circumstances that are happening right in front of us, right all around us, things that we can see, things that, that are tangible, things that are real. But can I tell you, as I was preparing for this week, I actually flipped around my message because I felt like there were so many of us that it's not the things that are, are real that is keeping us from having peace. Sometimes it's the things that are imaginary that are keeping us from having our peace. Can I get an amen from anybody? And so this morning, I want to talk to you around the title of Fighting Figments. Fighting figments. Because I think there's a lot of us that if we were really able to step back and look at our thought patterns and the things that so often take up our mental, emotional bandwidth, the things that take up our peace, the things that steal our our joy, a lot of the times it's the things that we are just wrapped up in our minds that nobody else knows about. And so this morning we're going to dive in and, and, and I don't ever want to just talk about a topic and, and give a TED talk and, and, and give you a couple steps to have you walk out and be fine. No, actually, what we want you to do is, is we want to look at the scripture and we want the scripture to frame and, and, and inform our, our truth and how we operate. And so we're going to be looking at a story that if you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard before, but just if you haven't, I'll, I'll give you the synopsis here. We're going to be looking at the story of Jacob. And Jacob, if you don't know it, he ends up having his name changed to uh, this little name called Israel. You guys seen it anywhere? <laughs> a little bit on the news. And what happens is, is Jacob, is, his name actually means heel grabber. Like, how, how would you like it? Like Because this, this is what happens, is, is Jacob was born a twin, but he was the second of the twins to come out of the womb. And so what happens is they actually say that as, as his older brother Esau came out, Jacob was grasping at his heel. And he was trying to pull him back, trying to be first. And so they named him after the very thing that happened when he was born. Like, how many of you be like, oh, my name's Chris. What's that mean? Oh, slimy, gooey thing that came out of the womb. (laughs) But they named him Heel Grabber. And what we find out is this is not just a name that described when when he was born. This is actually a name that describes the the very personality, the the very... uh, presence of of his life that we see this over and over again where Jacob is just grasping. He's trying to manipulate situations. He's trying to pull himself into the lead, pull himself into the front. And what happens is as they grow older, he's a twin, but he's a few minutes younger than his older brother. And in this culture, being the oldest was of the utmost importance. And actually, in this culture, any blessings that the father had to pass on to his children that, that went to the birthright, went to the oldest, the firstborn. So could you imagine missing out on the blessings of your father, which if you know anything about his father, his father had a blessing from up above. Could you imagine missing out just by mere moments and how that would mess with you for all of your life? And what we find is that Esau, Jacob's older brother, he's actually kind of more like his dad than, than, than Jacob is. And, and I can kind of relate to that because when I was younger, I was the one like going and playing piano and all my, like my brothers are out there playing football with my dad. You know, and could you just imagine growing up this way where, where over and over again, he's, he's looking around and he's, he's saying, you know what? I, I think my dad actually even likes him more than he likes me. And what this caused Jacob to do is eventually he goes in and 
he steals the birthright from Esau. He dresses up and his mom's in on it and, and, and he goes in and can I just say this, this story proves the truth that the youngest are always mom's favorite. I say that as a youngest child. But the mom helps him go in and he, he's, he's manipulating with his father who can no longer see and he's getting up there in age. And, and what happens is his father looks over at Jacob thinking he's Esau and he lays his hand on him and he prays the prayer of blessing and he passes on the blessing that God had given him to Jacob. And then Esau starts to get a little bit riled up and, and, and eventually it causes Jacob that he has to run away from home for 20 years. He goes and he stays with his uncle Laban, who also becomes his father-in-law. Like, let's just don't ask too many questions, all right? There's some weird stuff in the Bible. It's not always prescriptive, all right? It's just because it's in there doesn't mean you do it. Some of it's just describing the culture and situation that happened in this time. And what happens is actually, if you read the story of Jacob for that 20 years, he's just trying to, to manipulate and to position himself and to, to get himself into this point where he is blessed and, and all this kind of stuff. And finally, what happens is this, is that the trickster gets tricked. And it finally comes to this situation where Jacob, he can't stay with his uncle anymore because his uncle is now operating in shady business. And, and so God looks at Jacob and he says, you know what, you actually need to go back to your land. And that's cool and all until you remember that his bigger, older, stronger brother, who was the one that was really good with weapons and hunting and all that kind of stuff, is still mad at him. And what happens is this. We pick up in Genesis chapter 32. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Genesis is the first book over from the table of contents. So just scroll over a little bit into Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to pick up in verse 3. It's also on the screens if you need it. It says, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau. You notice that? The way he even starts to describe Esau. Not as my brother, as my Lord. I wonder if for 20 years Jacob has been seeing himself, even though he's got the blessing, even though he's the one that, that the dad proclaimed the blessing over, is he still seeing himself as less than? And actually, I know we, we literally just started reading scripture. Like, can you just get on with it? But can I tell you something? I think a lot of times one of the figments that we fight is the figment of fake. How many of you ever wonder if there's going to be a moment where, where that thing that you've been trying to, to, to keep secret is going to be exposed and they're going to find out you, you're not the real deal. You're not the person that they think you are. Or you're not as good as they thought you are or, or all these type of things. And you, you think like, they're going to find out that I'm just faking it. Can I tell you, I get a little bit of that at like 9.59 every Sunday morning. It's like the, 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 the people look at you in this way and all this kind of stuff, but there's, there's this inner battle that happens within so many of us that we feel fake, even when God has pronounced his blessing. Even when God has, has, has made us how he has made us, we feel like we're supposed to be something else. We feel like we're going to become exposed as a fraud. And so here, even Jacob, he's saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, he is not his Lord, he is his brother says, thus says your servant, Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. 
You notice this is a whole petitioning about all the stuff that he can offer back to Esau. It's not about the relational aspect. It's not, I'm your brother. Remember that we grew up together. Remember that we share the same parents. Remember that we, we have this, this commonality, that we share blood. Instead, it's here. Here's what I can give you. Can I earn back your favor? And so many of us, that's the very thing that we do with God is that God has adopted us as sons and daughters. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are grafted into the family of God. And so many times what we do is we come and say, Here, here's the stuff I can bring you, God. Could you just show me some favor? I know I've messed up, but can I just do this to make it up to you? And that's not the way that the Bible prescribes us to handle situations like this. It says, And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Who wouldn't be? He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Can I point out something to you here real quick? The next few verses, we're going to find Jacob doing what he should have done from the start, as he prays a prayer. But look at the action that he took before ever going and bringing this to God and consulting him for his will. He's already begun to, to, to work in fear. Can I tell you one of the other figments that sometimes gets us? The figments of vague. The figments of not enough information. Sometimes, it, you know, we, we can get just this little bit of information that spirals our brain out into it's the worst thing ever. Like you cough funny and you saw it on WebMD that that means you got cancer and a rare disease from Africa. You, you had to have gotten bit by this one random mosquito and, and all of a sudden you're just like trailing down this, this spiral of anxiety and it's beginning to steal your peace, but it's not really based on truth. You, you see, the enemy is very good at taking little bits of information and distorting it so that you see it through the lens of anxiety, through the lens of fear and worry, and distress. But you know what we did not read in this passage is that Esau had his 400 men coming and they had, they had weapons and, and all this kind of stuff. You ever have that with your kids? They're like, oh, somebody's at the front door. Well, who is it? I don't know. Well, did, did they have a, a uniform on? I don't know. Well, they, do you know them from somewhere? I don't know. And it's like, I can't get any information. And so now like I'm struggling to get out of the shower in time to, to like trip down the steps to go open the front door for somebody who was just dropping off an Amazon package. <laughs> and I think on a much larger scale, this is what Jacob is doing. He's taking just this little finite amount of information and he's twisting into, this must mean that Jacob, he's mad at me still and he's angry and he's gonna come and he's got these men and they must know how to fight and they're probably like 10 feet tall and they must have all these weapons and now I have to split my people in two and you know what? How would you like to be in the first part? How would you like to be in the part that says, well, if they die, at least they escape. He's beginning to act in fear and putting his fear into action before ever consulting God. In verse nine, we actually see a little bit of Jacob redeeming this situation. It says, and Jacob said, O God, my father, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country. Remember, this is, this is your command. You're the one who had this bright idea, God. You told me to return to my country and to my kindred that I may do you good. 
I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan River. And now I have become two camps. Look at what all you've done over the past 20 years. And he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come back and attack me. The mothers with the children. I want to tell you that if you're fighting something this morning that is stealing your peace, the first thing that you should do, the initial thing that you should do is bring it to God. Not, I'm going to kind of hedge my bets here and I'm going to try and get my ducks in a row and then I'm going to see if I can figure this out. I'm going to see if it just goes away. Maybe the, the, the fear will go away. Maybe I'll, I'll start to develop some peace and, and all this kind of stuff. No, bring it to God right away. Well, how do I do that? How, how do I do that? Just the same way as if you would go and talk to your coworker about your boss. <laughs> go talk to God about the things that are going on. Remember, we talked about this last week if you weren't here, but, but if it's, it, it may seem so small, but if it's big enough to be a concern to you, it's big enough to be a concern to God. God isn't sitting here with a threshold of, oh yeah, I'll, I'll hear you when you pray about something this large. I'll hear you when you pray about something of this magnitude. God is, is just like a good father who is listening to the cries of their children that even if it's just the tiniest little boo-boo, I'll kiss it and make it better. I will hear you in your concern, in your stress, in your anxiety, in your worry. If you bring it to me, 1 Peter 5, 7, 7 says this, that you should be casting all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And that word all means all. Everything. In Matthew eleven twenty twenty eight, 28, Jesus, he says to, to people, he says, hey, all of you, you're worried about all the stuff that's going on in your life. You're worried about what are you going to eat? What are you going to wear? Where are you going to live? How are you going to be protected? You're worrying about all these different things. But he says this, as you worry about those things, just come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I tell you? Sometimes it's not even about your situation getting fixed. It's about finding rest in the waiting. Sometimes it's not even that you need to go and you just need to beg for God to do something. What you need to do is, is instead of begging for God to do something in your circumstances, you need to beg God to do something in your heart and your mind to give you rest and peace to help carry that burden that you are weighted down with. Let's continue in Genesis. It says this in verse 12. But you said, Jacob is continuing his prayer. He's, he's saying, don't you remember all this stuff? And, and don't you remember the, the promises that you had? And, and don't you remember all these different things? And now I'm sitting here and I'm scared and I'm worried and I'm fearful. But now he says, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So the second thing that you need to do if you're caught up in something is stealing your peace you need to bring it to God, but then you need to remind yourself of the truth. Remind yourself of the truth and see what Jacob is doing here is he's hearkening back a few chapters of the Bible, but this is a previous point in Jacob's life. Almost 20 years before this, Jacob, when he was crossing over, God gave him this clear picture, this clear dream, and he said, I'm going to bless your family. The, the blessing that I had given your father Isaac, the blessing that I had given your, your father uh, Abraham, I'm going to give that to you. 
and I'm going to bless your family and your family's going to inhabit this land and they're going to multiply like the sand of the earth. And so Jacob here is, is he's sitting back and he's, you know, I, I remember what you said. I re- remember what you promised. I remember what you told me. And the problem sometimes is that we can't remember what we never learned. We can't remember what we never heard. And so the the problem many of us face is that we don't spend enough time in the word to be able to dive in and to to internalize the truth of God's promises that he speaks over, over us through his word. This is not just a textbook written for us to learn what happened thousands of years ago. This is not just stories of what happened to people then. This is the story and testament of the God who was and is and is to come. He is the never changing God, the ever faithful God, the sovereign God who hears you when you call and cares for you when you come. And his promises are still true. His promises are still good, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will not abandon you, that even when you're going through the pits of your life, he is still there with you. Sometimes you need to remind yourself of the truth. And I think the thing is, is today we have a truth deficiency. Don't even get me started on culture. Don't even get me started on on media and and, and everything else that's out there. We have a, a deficiency of truth. We are saturated with so many lies. And the problem is, is this. We focus too much on deciphering the lies than learning and observing the truth. I think that if we sat with our Bibles more than we sat with our, our smartphones, if we sat with our, our Bibles more than we sat with CNN, if we sat with our Bibles more than we sat with Fox News, and I think we'd be able to discern a lot more of the truth and what is not truth than if we just sit and figure out, oh, well, this person said this, this person said that. I think we need to get back to the truth of what God says. My in-laws um, have this, this kind of saying in their house, and I think it's kind of funny. We've adopted it now is my father-in-law, he's very particular with certain things. And so out in their garage, he's, he's got, they've got shelves and all this kind of stuff. Like, that's where we do our shopping when we don't go actually shopping, right? Anybody, anybody testify to that? And, uh, and sometimes you'll go out there, and it, it's like he used to be real into peach snapple, and he would have like seven cases stacked high. And when it got down to two, he would look at you. Like, you only got two? He's like, yeah, we're low. But he wouldn't just say we're low. He would say we're dangerously low. And now if there's like three, you know, Costco-sized things of toilet paper and you get through down to the second one, he's going to look and he's going to say, no, we're not just low, we're dangerously low. And I love that. And we've, we've adopted that in our, our house now too. There's certain things that we just look at. It's like, no, we're not low. We are dangerously low. And the, the problem I think is this, is that many of us, if we looked at our lives, we are dangerously low on the truth. We are dangerously low on on, on how much we know and absorb the truth of God's word. We we, we try and do everything that we can here to raise and instill truth in the kids that are in our kids' ministry. And in fact, if you didn't know this, we actually have a curriculum that's just like you would send your kid to school and you expect, oh, if they miss this, a, you know, a week of school, then, then they've got to make it up. We, we have curriculum that from first grade all the way up to 12th grade, we have certain things that we're trying to instill and teach and, and help your kids learn. And, and so just to, just a plug to you guys that if you're parents, it's kind of important you get your kids here. But more than that, 
I remember when we were growing up that, that we, would, we would memorize scripture and we'd, we'd write it down. And I remember even when I was in like fourth grade, I won a prize because I remember the, the entire genealogy of Jesus. Go and read that. That is not fun. But the principle is this, is I, I, I just picture, what if I didn't have that when I was younger? Do I absorb enough of this now in my day-to-day to survive? Some of you were wondering why you can't ever have peace. It's because you don't ever get in the word. And, and when you do, you just, you, you blaze right through it. But I'm telling you, you need to let the word saturate your heart and your mind. You need to get in it. You need to start journaling out some scriptures so that you can remember it. I meet with a group of guys on Tuesdays that, that we do discipleship and we've been talking about this. How, how can we better memorize some scripture so that when life comes at you, it's not like, oh yeah, where's my Bible? It's somewhere over here in the coffee. T-. But when you're out doing life, life comes at you. Right, as, as my friend Scott says, life gets lifey. And, and sometimes you gotta get to this point where, where it's, it's not like, oh, I gotta flip out my phone or whatever. It's just that immediately when the thoughts that are coming to steal your anxiety, that you're able to remind yourself of God's truth. Scripture says that we are to hide his word in our hearts. So how often? How often? And I'm guilty, I, I'm, I'm terribly guilty of this too. There was a point in my life where I could probably tell you more NFL stats than I could tell you scripture verses. But can I tell you, I'm seeking for that not to be the truth. That more than anything else in my life, if there's one thing that I know, if there's one thing that I remember, it's the word of God. The promises of his truth, because I'm telling you, the world is coming against truth. Scripture actually says that the devil, he is the the father of all lies. That he is actively seeking to deceive each and every one of us. And he will use every circumstance and every resource to do so. But if you stand on this, he's got nothing but words. We have truth. So Jacob here, he reminds himself of the promise in Genesis 28. And God, he made this this great declaration to Jacob and he says that I am not finished until it has been completed. So if you're looking around Jacob and you're seeing things that don't look like they should based on the promise that I gave you, just know this, I ain't done yet and neither are you. Some of us this morning, that's exactly where we are. And I love that, that Jacob in this prayer, he comes and he, he lays out his burden. He lays out his hurt. He lays out his fear and he reminds himself of the promise of God. There's a quote by George Muller. He's a, he was a theologian and he says this, the most important part of my prayer time is the 15 minutes after I say amen. You're like, that doesn't sound right. Like, I mean, isn't the power in the prayer? Yes, power is in the prayer. But what are you gonna do when you walk away from that prayer room? What are you gonna do when you walk away from that time where you've prayed and you've lifted up your, your, your concerns to God and you've reminded yourself of his truth and, and a lot of times God will begin to shift our heart. But when, when the world starts coming back at you, are you gonna stay where you were in that prayer room or are you gonna shrink back into the fear and anxiety? How will you respond when God speaks? 
Let's continue. What happens is that in verse 13, he says, so he stayed there that night. This is after his prayer. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. That's a lot of animals, by the way. It's like 580 animals, I think. I don't know what you do with that many animals. And if you try coming to my house and giving me a gift of that many animals, you are not becoming my friend. You're becoming my enemy. And he says, he instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes over ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. And if you have your Bible right now, I want you to underline this, circle this. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Perhaps. That's not a word that we say a whole lot in this day and age. But you know what we do say that's the same meaning? If, maybe. And I think the third step is, is if you're wanting to overcome the things that are stealing your peace is you need to live on the other side of perhaps. Perhaps. Jacob, you see here in this moment, he's, he's gone and he's brought his, his concern to God and he's reminded himself of the promise, but even still his actions after he leaves his prayer closet still show fear. Before he had two camps, now he's even getting more concerned and he's, he's breaking them off into four. And actually scripture tells us that his favorite wife and his favorite son were in the back just in case the front three got killed. He could still have the ones that meant the most to him. And even after all of this, even after God had spoken to him, even after all the reminders, he's still living on this word, perhaps. And I wonder how many of us are just living our lives hinged on perhaps. But what if? Worst case scenario, glass ain't even half full, it's empty. Pessimistic. Why does this always happen to me? And we start thinking of the worst case scenario and instead of trusting in the God, I want to live on the other side of perhaps. Perhaps God will do a miracle. Perhaps God will do the impossible. Perhaps God will make a way where I didn't see a way. Perhaps God, when I get to the edge of the waters, will part the waters. Perhaps God will move this mountain. Perhaps God will provide. Perhaps God will heal. Perhaps God will speak. Perhaps God will do what only he can do. I want to live on the good side of perhaps, the faith side of perhaps, the believing side of perhaps that God can and God will if it's his will. Not on the, oh, perhaps, perhaps if I try and do my part, perhaps it'll work out. We aren't called to live in fear. If God has spoken it, we are called to walk in faith. No more perhaps. I think perhaps, if and maybe, many times are the greatest thieves of our joy and peace. 
because we just begin to imagining all of the worst case scenarios of what could happen. We are overthinking, paralyzed by perhaps, paralyzed by what if. Some of you in this room, you struggle with overthinking. Some of you in this room struggle with underthinking. Wives, do not elbow your husbands. But it's real. It's truth. Some of us, we struggle with overthinking. We overprocess. We internalize every little thing and magnify it to the nth degree. And we look at it and it's like, well, well that person looked at me funny. Did they think I'm, I'm going to get fired? I'm getting fired tomorrow. <laughs> right? Like you, you, all of a sudden you just jump to the worst. You don't even jump to the worst case scenario. You like just jump off the cliff. <laughs> this is something, honestly, I struggle with it for a long time. And I still have to keep it in check is overthinking. Because I'm, a, I'm an analytical person. I like to strategize. I like to analyze situations. I need, I need data. I want to look at everything. But the problem is, is sometimes I get just enough to be dangerous. And I begin to overthink, overthink, overthink. Y'all, if you knew, I'm crazy. What goes on in here, it's nuts. I honestly will go to Wawa. And I'll hold the door open for somebody. And, and I, I'll just see them, like, give me the, the up and down. And I'm already thinking, they hate me. And if they say this, I'm going to say this back to them. And if they say this back, then I'm going to say that again. And I'm like, I'm already having an imaginary dialogue about somebody that I don't know. They're already in their Prius and down the road, but I'm still thinking about it. So I get it. Overthinking can be paralyzing. Overthinking can be so detrimental because what happens is this. When you overthink about one thing, you miss about thinking about the thing that is right in front of you. What if we're missing out on the thing that God wants to do because we're so concerned with that thing that happened five days ago that we just can't get over? We've got to put our our thinking in check. And can I tell you, just write this down. If you struggle with overthinking, the solution to overthinking is not less thinking. It's directed thinking. Because some of you, you're just like, you, you overprocess, you overthink, and all this kind of stuff. And you're just thinking, like, I just got to learn to think less. I have to learn to think less. No, you don't learn to think less. You know what can I tell you? It's actually a gift that God gave you that your brain operates in this form and fashion that you're always connecting and doing and analyzing all this. But you know what you got to do? You've got to ground it in the truth of God's word. It's not less thinking, it's directed thinking. It's analyzing instead of what are they thinking about me? It's like, how can I point them to God? How, how can I frame this in the light of God's word and God's promises? So that's what I've had to do. Instead of overthinking and looking at the negative, I overthink and I see, God, what could you do through this situation? How could I give you glory through this, this analyzing that I'm doing right now? Does that speak to anybody this morning? Some of us, we, we just got to chill. We just got to chill. We're going to skip a few verses here, and I just want to tell you it's not because we, we don't think they're valuable. It's just the fact that I think I'm actually going to preach a whole message on this next section uh, in, in 2024. But just to give you a synopsis, what happens is this, is that Jacob, he sends his whole family, his, everything that he's got, he sends it to the, over to the other side of the river. And Jacob, he, he, he spends the night on the other side of the river. And as he's there, Jacob wrestles with God. Like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not like... Just saying like he wrestles with God in his prayer. I'm saying that God in the form of a human being came and wrestled with Jacob through the night. This is what's called a theophany or a Christophany where, where it's the appearance of Jesus Christ in human form, God in, in bodily form in the Old Testament. 
And as he does this, he's, he's trying to communicate something. You see, Jacob, as, as God is fighting with him, he, he can't see, he can't make out everything that's happening. He, he doesn't know exactly what's going on, but through the night, he doesn't relent, and he just keeps fighting and fighting and fighting, and it's just the story of Jacob's life that he's just been fighting and fighting and fighting and grasping for the heel and grasping for, for all the things that he wants and trying to position, and he's fighting and he's fighting and he's fighting, and finally in the morning, the sun comes up and he looks over at this man and he realizes this is not just a man. And the man touches Jacob's hip and, and, and he makes it to where now actually Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. But can I tell you, this is the greatest moment of Jacob's life. Because finally in this moment, God looks at Jacob and he changes his name from heel grabber to Israel. From you fighting, from you petitioning to now the name Israel, which is God will fight. For 20 years, even more, Jacob has spent his life wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. And some of you, that's exactly how you feel. And you feel tired and you feel weary and you feel burdened and broken. And there comes this point in time where Jacob, in this moment, he recognizes, I've been fighting and fighting, but I'm still not in control. I am still not powerful. God is. And some of you, you just need to, 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 to stop wrestling the control away from God and surrender it back to him. Because you can't have peace if it's up to you for everything. That's just, that's another story. I, I won't preach because I'll go too long, but let's continue. After Jacob gets up and he's walking with his limp, he begins to cross over to the other side. And it says this in chapter 33, verse one. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. These are his favorites. Again, he's still hedging his bets. He himself went on before them, at least in this moment. He's not putting everybody else in front of him. Some of you don't realize that you, you, you're not... You're not able to experience peace and walk in peace and you think it only affects you. But Jacob's doubt all along through this story, if he walked out in the way that he was planning to carry it out, would have affected his wives, his children, his servants, and everyone else, and then him last. Some of you just need to sit back and, and reflect on, man, I'm, I'm stuck in this anxiety and this, this need for control and this need for, for, for all of it. And you're looking around and you're like, it, it doesn't just affect me. Can I tell you, if you're a parent, it affects your kids? Can I, can I tell you that, that it's gonna affect the people that are closest to you? And many times they love you enough that they may not say all that it, it is impacting them, but it does impact them. That's why we need to begin to learn to walk in Peace. And so even in this moment, I think Jacob is still kind of hedging his bets, but at least he's being a man about it and being a leader about it. And he's saying, you know what? I'm not gonna stay to the back. I will go to the front. And it says, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And here he is, he's still bowing down and he's still worrying and he's still trying to do everything that he can to impress his brother, to appease his brother. But what happens? But Esau ran to meet him. And just stabbed him in the heart. No. No. 
tell me the thing that Jacob has been fearing all along isn't what happened, but it's the exact opposite that Esau runs to his brother. And he looks at him and he says, I haven't seen you for so long. And he wraps his arms around him. He embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel, the things that he was trying to protect the most, they drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. I just love this picture. There's so much of the gospel in this that you can't even begin to grasp. But it's this picture of what do we do when we are carrying this worry and anxiety all this way? Is we gotta trust. And we just have to move forward in faith. We have to believe that if God is directing us, remember this, this whole story started with God speaking to Jacob. I want you to go back. I want you to return. I want you to go into the land that I promised you and I declared would be yours. So if God spoke it, we have to trust it and move forward in faith. But can I tell you the beauty of this? Oh, I see the beauty of the gospel. That many of us, we've grown up in, in maybe religions that taught that you have to work your way to God, that, that for every wrong thing you do, you have to find a right thing to do to balance it and counteract it and, and all this kind of stuff. But what happens is this, is just like Esau looking at his brother says, I don't need your stuff. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care about you? It's the same way that the father looks at us. Stop trying to stack your good and earn your way and prove yourself and worrying about, will I get to heaven? Will I make it? Am I good enough? No, come to me. Rest in me. Receive my embrace. Receive my love. Receive my affection. And even in those moments when we're caught up in fear, receive my encouragement. Receive my promises. Receive the hope and the peace that I can give you. So for those of you this morning that are caught up and you're going into this season and you're wondering, where is my peace? I want you to bring your struggle to God. I want you to remind yourself of his truth. I want you to live on the other side of perhaps, not the negative, fearful side. And I want you to move forward in faith. And I want you to see what God can do in the process. And remind yourself that he gave his life so that you could have life in him. What more will he do for you now? Some of you, you were 
caught up, right? Even in this moment, you have a fear of rejection or you struggle with job security and what happens if I lose my job or what happens if I lose my financial source of income or what if the economy goes down or, or what if there's, there's, there's some pressure in a relationship or what if they don't like me tomorrow but I'm putting all of my stock in this relationship today? What if I make a fool of myself in front of my friends and my family? What if, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if that spot that's on my neck isn't just a little freckle anymore? What if, what if all, and we can get in this trap of what if. We need to get caught in the trap of but God. In Exodus, we taught on this, we went through this book last year, but in Exodus 14, there's one of the most infamous passages in all of the Bible where God had led his people out of captivity. And through all these signs and wonders, he brought them out of Egypt where they had been enslaved for generations and generations. And he brings them right to the edge of the water. And they're standing here with the the sea in front of them, mountains on either side and behind the sound of the chariots of Egypt. And in this moment, many of the Israelites begin to fear and they look at Moses, the man who had gotten them out of of the slavery, who had acted on behalf of God, and they look at him, why would you bring us out here? Wouldn't it have been better to die in Egypt? And God speaks through Moses. And it says this in Exodus 14, 13. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And this is our verse for today. This is it. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be still. You don't have to work your way out of this situation. You have to bring it to God and walk in obedience. It's what he calls you to do. Today, I just want to speak over you. Fear not. Stand firm. If God is leading you forward, whatever obstacle is in your way, you shall not see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your power. God, we thank you that we can put our trust and our hope in you, our firm foundation. God, we thank you that we cry out to you, that you are faithful to hear us, your children. And God, even though sometimes it feels like you're slow to respond, we know that you are working in the process. You're building up our faith and our trust, our dependence on you. And so God, I pray for those in this room who are walking caught up in the figments of fear and anxiety and worry. Today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and impart peace like a river and joy overflowing by the power of Jesus' name. Do what only you can do, God. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you that we are your children, your sons 
and your daughters. We call on your name when we are in need.